0: Um, yeah it's been a while hasn't it? And this morning I promise I won't um, I won't preach a sermon and I wasn't planning to and uh, and I'll try to tell you a little bit about my recipe to business but it's not a self-help uh, lecture um, but which is really how I think the Bible undergirds and how it has influenced me um, how I look at business and how I I do business as a professional, and uh, before I get into that, um, I wanted to maybe share two thoughts about um, about Braden. Maybe I, I, you know something that came, crossed my mind last week listening to his uh, to his sharing. Um, I and mean, Braden and I sort of are somewhat in the same field, if not we're competitors. Um, I, I stole a really big client from him, uh, of which of which I I was not you know like praying after, it, but. Um, you know, so happened I ended up with that client. Like, it's a, it's a huge client. It's like, um, you know, six figures uh, a year minimum. Um, and so, so he came yes, uh, last week and said, oh, you're Brian, you're Flowmark. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I think that's really struck me about Braden was, I think his life says to all of us that it is a choice to grow and to become a mature Christian. Uh, to be equipped with a good working knowledge of the scriptures and because for him if a non-practicing non-church going uh, lapsed Christian like Braden in his early 20s can end up at that point in his early 20s after coming going through school going to the workplace can can end up as a faithful Christian executive leader with a really good understanding of the Bible then I think it's not too late for all of us. Uh, it is a conscious choice, but also with it that requires a lot of discipline to back it up. So that's one thing I think that really hit me about him. Um, secondly, is I think the gospel at work is so much more than simply evangelism at work, because every Christian's mission is not just to share the gospel, but actually more so to redeem what is broken, what is lost. You know, through that we could do that through the power of Christ by showing that there is a different way. And, and often, I think as Braden, uh, some of his stories, um, a different way can often mean saying no to opportunities and, and profit. Um, Timothy Keller, um, recently in this one of his newer books, he said <clears throat> about leadership, he says, every leader is called to be a prophet, priest, and king. When you read the Bible and let, let us speak to you, that's prophetic ministry, and he's talking obviously talking about Christian leaders or leaders who are Christian. When you start to pray to God, that's priestly ministry. And when you order your life in accordance with what you just read and prayed for, that's kingly ministry. And so if Timothy Keller is right, then as a Christian, your Monday to Friday is really more than just being a great work leader. And and be a great work leader, you should. But what our mission and calling entwined in us, you know, with the Holy Spirit living in us, you know, calls us to be ministers, pastors, and chaplains wherever we are, wherever God places us. And the gospel calls us Christians to not only make a difference, because anyone in the name of charity and, you know, and, you know philanthropy can make a difference. Let, you know, let's not discount that. But, but I think Christians are called to live out a biblical vision of God's kingdom, from their positions of influence at their at or in their vocational workplace in a way that is central to what I wanted to talk about this morning, which I which the name is, well the word is human flourishing. Let me tell you two stories um um, and these are not my stories and these are stories I read um that that have actually had some uh, I, I suppose tremendous influence so during first story is during a recession in the U.S. Uh, not that long ago, an advertising company in Chicago suffered um, client budget cuts, and and found themselves in a place where they have um, a large excess staffing ca- capacity. In other words, um, there are more, more than half the staff in the company are idling with nothing to do. And and as you know, like in in. Um, you know, in advertising and marketing, and actually many businesses as well, uh, in professional services, you know, when the budget's cut, like, it like gets really quick. Um, Aaron always tells me as an accountant, he says, you know, like, we're in the uh, consulting business, uh, we're high margin, but we're always two to three months away from bankruptcy. And so the partners, um, being Christians, believe that they have enough cash reserved to weather the storm, so to speak. And by faith, they determined that they're not they cannot and will not lay off anybody. You know, that, that's a lot of faith. And so what they decided um, instead to do was, was they actually went out and they approached their municipality, like their city hall. Uh, they approached like different nonprofit organizations in their city, uh, which like they have, they have um, I guess they have some connections in their community. And they offered them free design and marketing and advertising services and so that there would be enough work for you know all the people who are idling in the company. And so they worked pro bono for about half the company at least, worked pro bono for about half a year, almost. Actually more like till 9 months until sort of the economy picked up a little bit and then work started to come in again. And of course um, when when some of these uh, pro bono projects wrapped up and then at the same time um, you know pay, paid paid uh, paid work came in then sort of they just sort of went along and you know and continued onwards so did they make a difference in the world you know, the thing is we never heard of this company ever again you know it's not like they were uh... you know heralded on on the front page of uh... you know the chicago tribune you know as you know great you know look at this great company they never heard of never heard of them again and whether their services uh... you know this pro bono service that they offered uh, at the expense, uh, at the deep expense of their of their um, maybe their partners, um, you know, ever even uh, went largely went unnoticed in the history books, uh, probably. But did they did they make a difference for God's kingdom? Here's another one: uh, two business partners who ran uh, a construction company uh, didn't make it during the uh, the same U.S. recession, unfortunately. And and they defaulted about not you know not tremendously large amount of money two hundred a quarter million dollars of a credit line that they and term loans with their banks that they cannot repay back. And the good news I guess um, is that both of them personally were able to walk away uh, without personal any personal liability uh, because uh, well, their company was liquidated and uh, that that was about it. But one of the business partners um, is a Christian and he felt convicted that it was his christian duty to pay back what he owed but of course you know with his company being liquidated and you know and you know going through a very very trying time uh, you know he moved on both of them moved on and then, and they went separate ways and they started their own other businesses as they you know as they went along so five years later um, you know this christian um, set up an appointment with the commercial lending bank manager uh, who originally loaned him that loaned them that quarter million dollars, and and he came back uh, to meet that bank manager uh, with the full intent to pay back that quarter million dollars that was defaulted, and because it took him actually five years to um, you know come come up with that quarter million dollars, and so that when the bank manager met him in his office, the bank manager almost fell off his chair, and he says of the thirty years that I have worked in institutional lending. I have never heard of anyone who has done this like you don't have to do this the bank has written off your loan uh, from you know every single uh, side you know it's a done deal you know you walked away there's no legal liability uh, you can have a new life but this is this conversation itself you know which kind of led to that next question and, and which is perhaps the most important question is the bank manager asks, "Like, why are you doing this?" In the Bible, um, the Mosaic laws in Deuteronomy 15 uh, touches on debt cancellation, and it happens on the seventh year. That um, God tells um, the Israelites that um, you are to repay all the debts that you owe uh, up to the seventh year. That if at the seventh year, you, end of the seventh year, you still cannot repay that debt to the best of your ability, then that is going to be can- that debt will automatically be canceled. But in some ways, I, I think this story itself kind of hit me more like um, you know, the story of Mary who anointed Jesus with the perfume in an alabaster jar uh, in John 11, of, in which she broke it. And then, uh, you know, and that's like almost, they said that it was like a year's salary, right? And, and the same story was so important that it was found in the three uh, synoptic gospels uh, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke and that you know there was such an enormous token uh, of value and in, in exchange for the forgiveness forgiveness of debt and and what came as a result of that was just all shock but also gratitude also redemption and, and this you know this story about this guy going, going to his bank manager trying to repay a loan from five years ago kinda speaks to me a lot about more like that story that and I think somehow that he felt he was married that he um, received grace, and uh, that was, he's unworthy of, and he wanted to, um, you know, make, make amends or, or, or find redemption there. You know, these two stories on the surface are, are stories of charity. But deeper still, that they are full of irrational or even absurd business decisions, wouldn't you say? Um, but deeper still is that they beg us to ask, why? Why would, you know, these people do that? Why would these Christians do that? And and the theme that is the themes that are kind of under under that sort of um, this common thread that undergirds all these um, are themes of what equilibrium. You know, imagine if you know half a company worth of people lost their jobs. You know th- how that would ricochet through, um, you know, families. There are you know themes of. Charity, yes, of course, um, but there would be themes of redemption as well—that re- t- repentance, that perhaps uh, this bank manager, uh, this uh, this person who borrowed the money, went back and and because of that default, that he that, he, that would have changed how he looked at lending or how you use this lending, you know, from from that point onwards. Uh, but there would there would certainly be a lot of joy and hope um, that I I believe that you know out of the first company that. Uh, you know, the rises from the ashes, so to speak, and, and the two business owners, the two Christians who kind of just hang, they hung on by faith, uh, you know, just burning a massive hole in their cash reserve, if, if they're even, or maybe they're burning into, um, into, into the loans uh, credit line. Uh, you know, think about, you know, the joy when actual work, you know, paid work comes in and, and they look back maybe years um, and look at, you know, all that contribution that they've done to the city and, wow. And so there, there are some of these traits that are what I would like to coin this morning and talk about um, as human flourishing. And there's a theologian, uh, Jonathan Pennington. He explains um, human flourishing in three kind of three ideas, three clusters. Now, let, let me say that uh, th- this is probably new. Um, there, there is no verse in the Bible that that uses this word. Uh, there's also no verse, no, no, no clear concept of this. In the in the Bible, but uh, I'm really trying to approach it from um, from how when you look at business and work and faith, um, a lot of it is really looking at a certain pattern of how the Bible talks about life, about um, this wholeness, um, the way that God has intended, um, you know, community to be, uh, maybe with you know when without sin, and so the three main themes that um, Pennington actually. Uh, use this to to kind of articulate this uh, from a biblical perspective he, he talks about that these are three things and these th- three words that are found in the bible of course uh, the first one um these are two words that uh, one is the the first one shalom uh, this is the the hebrew and then the second one is the greek um, and both of them sort of have a slightly different connotation um, but the first one shalom um, the idea is that there will be wholeness um, that results in well-being. Uh, if you meet anybody who's Jewish, uh, they would greet you and say shalom, like hi or you know, how, um, Pastor Jonathan would like peace to you, and you would you know you would say it back, right? And so that would be the shalom. Um, but shalom in the scriptures is the same word is actually used in like three different ways. Um, and so shalom is definitely used as a greeting when you see somebody. Uh, but 65% of the time the word in the scripture is actually used to refer to completeness, maturity, um, especially overall well-being economically, uh, and certainly relationally, health-wise as well. So you know you can think of that word as if you're in a, like just everything feels really good. Like we're at, I'm at peace with so it, nobody's fighting. You know, like, do I have shalom in the house? No. Does Gary have shalom in the house? No. <laughs> and 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 Kitty and Alan, no. <laughs> and so you kind of get that, right? So the, the biblical uh, idea uh, and that that vision of shalom is is well, when everything is reconciled, when everything is is in is in harmony, that's really kind of the gist of it. Uh, the second word Asherah. Uh this is in the scripture where it's cast it's more of the meaning about blessedness and happiness casting a vision for a way of being in the world that will result in true flourishing and and so in the bible uh, there's 44 uh, of these of the word Ashrei in the hebrew bible 26 of them are found in this in the psalms eight in proverbs and the 11 are kind of scattered throughout the the books but ultimately what it is it's about the pursuit of happiness um, you know, it's like, are you happy at work? Like, really, like truly happy at work? And what the Bible, uh, old or New Testament, uh, always points to is, you know, what is the vision of a good life? Like, often that when we're happy or you're not, you're not happy. It's part of. It's partly because well, you have a certain vision of a good life. What you would be happy. Uh, well, these are the circumstances of, in which you'll be happy. And unfortunately, the circumstances in life don't line up to that. And so you're unhappy as a result. And so often that word, you know, happiness is really driven by what is that vision of a good life for you. And the last word, um, the Greek word is probably more uh, common is uh, teleolos, um, wholeness. Then um, there's this little bit of an overlap of this idea with shalom, um, because it, it, the means by which. And the state where humans can experience God directly and God bless flourishing through wholeness. And that there is the third one in wholeness. We're really referring to how that when we are reconciled with God through Jesus, thinking salvation, reconciliation, that we can be right with him. That's what, how Paul, uh, that word he uses in Romans, that we can be right with God. And, and part of that would be probably repentance. there would be some redemption. Now you know I, I promise that, like I'm not preaching a sermon, but I, I still kind of have to give a bit of, little bit of a teaching on, on, on what this is. So that I've done, I've done that. so <laughs> so at least like we can kind of move on to more more practical, uh, more, more interesting things. So different terms in the Bible related to happiness, uh, joy, flourishing, well-being, fulfillment. You know, these are. there's a lot of terms if you actually do word searches. And so it's quite remarkable that if you actually just simply look at how many of such terms are in the Bible and how frequently they appear, then it actually is quite apparent that the question of human flourishing is, is not a stranger to the Bible. That out of this story of, of all of of that weaves through the narrative weaves through the whole entire Bible from the Old Testament Israelites to the New Testament Jesus and the apostles and the church there's one thing that God cares about he, he does care about you know, your happiness your flourishing your well-being your fulfillment your contentment and we know that um, with Jesus because ultimately we are all reconciled to God and that through him that we can experience um, this type of flourishing And so, for the past twelve years, uh, next slide. One more. Uh, For the past twelve years, and and that also spans the six, seven, or eight years that I've um, pastured here. I've been the principal of a branding and uh, design and marketing agency um, to to help people, companies, and brands stay relevant. Um, I started this when I was in um, I was in seminary at Regent College. Uh, because I figured, well, you know, I, I have to do something um, work-wise. Otherwise, I'd go crazy uh, going, to, going to grad school full-time. And so um, I had a fast start with real estate in, in, the, in the early years. And that was just me, uh, just me working alone. And, but when the market really got competitive, like as in the, the real estate market and the, the uh, you know, graphic design market got a bit more competitive, God brought, me, uh, brought in some other relationships from all these other industries and He also gave me a desire to look at every relationship that I that came through the door, you know, as a way to um, help people reach their wholeness, and and now of course, like thinking back, like um, in the last two years, like basically putting this more into distilling this more into uh, in, into terms that you know I could explain. Uh, that was really what I was trying to do, and that was kind of part of what Regent Regent had had shaped me. Um, you know, in some ways, like you go to a, you go to regent college, you go to any type of um, deep learning in, 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 in scripture, and you're never going to come out the same um, because you realize like all, all the business instincts for us to chase after profits, to do better. Like a lot of that actually goes against what the scripture paint as, as a, as a picture of wholeness, as a picture of a shalom, um, in, in, you know, even in commerce. And so, you know, now and now thinking back, almost 12 years, um, you know, as, as an ad agency, we we basically existed to help clients reach their human flourishing. And, and 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 you know, and all all honestly, like in in hindsight, I think God also saved me and saved us uh, financially. Because um, someone actually, told, someone in the industry actually told me, he said, you know, seventy percent of all graphic design or creative design agencies in Vancouver are propped up because of the of the real estate condo market, right? You you receive a lot of mailings in your mail about, hey, buy a pre um, and you drive by all these like construction sites and you see like massive massive hoarding, um, and then they would give if you line up at presentation centers, which costs, you know. Uh, Three, four hundred thousand dollars to build, uh, just to renovate, and they would give you these packages, uh, you know, of that new new project that were worth probably like twenty dollars to print just that package, right? There's a lot of money, and and you know, and all of them, all these firms are probably just two to three months away cash flow wise from going on a business. And, and actually, um, I I know another firm in North North Vancouver, uh, they're the ones who did uh, Brentwood. And um, they are, the, the two founders are, actually go to Alliance Church and Andy Lamkin's church. And uh, they were probably one of the um, more, more well-known firms, uh, just two guys like starting at, uh, three guys I think. Uh, they grew the firm to about like 20 people. Uh, but then recently they basically almost laid off everybody except like you know, maybe the three partners and maybe two other people. Because uh, it was not sustainable. <clears throat> we had a downturn, remember, this summer? Uh, we have an excess condo uh, pre- uh, condo uh, supply right now in, in the market. And, and, and so in hindsight, um, today that we serve about 50 or so clients from all walks of life, all walks of business, real estate, automotive, uh, professionals, financial, oil, oil and gas, food and hospitality, household, baby, you, you name it. In many ways, like, we are now like immune to downturn of any particular um, <coughs> industry because we're just so diversified. And in the last 12 years, I've we, we've kind of gone into a place where we almost know how every industry works, the inside out. Um, and it also has served um, to open up a lot of doors to conversations, um, often with owners. And so, <coughs> next slide. So how do we, <coughs> so these are some of our clients that we've worked with. Uh, next slide. So 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 then the question today is how do we apply this human flourishing then? Well, we always have to start with, you know, one very basic question, and this is in the context of the workplace. What is the point of work, right? And Gary said that right now that he's kind of graduated <laughs> 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 to be a father, <laughs> and and actually having think having you know become a sage for a. a uh, a month, you know, and um, in solitary confinement <laughs> with a baby, with a crying baby and a hungry baby. What is, is it really more than, is it no more than just simply like making a living? Like, you know, just having the means and bringing home the money? And I think the, the core of it is, like, this is a slide I actually use with my own staff. Um, you know, the core of it is, what is the point of work? But if the Bible has one thing to tell us it's actually about that we are to thrive that we are to grow vigorously and flourish. Because that well the definition in the dictionary for thrive is to grow vigorously and flourish. That our sense of purpose, fulfillment, meaning, joy and sense of well-being all derive from a need to thrive. That's if any if anything that's just one universal biblical concept of flourishing. That you have to also understand that human flourishing, this as a biblical concept, has an incredible seeing power and a universal voice because it addresses all of our basic and innate uh, needs for of humanity. That despite you know a diversity of race, culture, and values, no matter wh- where you come from, you all we we all have this collective. things. And it's a concept that proves that that to be a motivating force for an end goal for all humans to think. And, and do. And so in our in our work um, what's, yeah. in, in our work what we do is we steward uh, people's brands and we steward people's vision. Um, often we come to work with a founder, an entrepreneur and they're all they have lots of ideas they have visions and and we, we come in and we help steward that and, and help them. Um, trying to change the brand owner, the team, the people, so that they would find flourishing in their workplace and in their marketplace. Uh, and we're trying to frame a finite perspective of shalom something that they could grapple with and trying to frame something that of wholeness and, and blessings that are relevant to them that they can also experience. W- without being Christians, I don't, predominantly I don't work with Christians in, in the marketplace. And we try, as a, as a firm, to come in, is to help them imagine the beauty of human flourishing, and, and the purpose that God intended to, to uh, for them to fulfill as a business. So um, let me jump to the some of the websites that I'll tell you some stories. Um. Mm. Some of the some of the things that we that you think we do, but what it, behind behind the scenes, what we actually do. <laughs> So uh, Mercedes-Benz has been well, uh, sorry a, a, that that uh, dealership, and, and some, in some ways uh, uh, the Vancouver Retail Group, all the dealerships as well. Um, so during during the seven or eight years that uh, Rachel and I had had a relationship with them um, before they were recently acquired by Delari um, you know we would we would walk in and out uh, of dealerships. Um, you know I had a Mercedes-Benz business car as well. Uh, we did all their marketing uh, we steward about like forty thousand dollars a month of their of their um, advertising spending for just one dealership um, and then uh, i also represented them in uh, marketing summits the national marketing summits in in toronto and and so we're in there uh, rachel's part of this account and we're in there taking pictures we're doing creative design for their ads uh, working with newspapers and making sure that right deals are being sent out we're looking at inventory uh, we're looking at what needs to sell. What needs to be? What is the best deal? And then um, uh, we're doing social. We're doing all that. Uh, so that's what, on paper, that what we do. We're paid for. That's what it says on our invoice. Um, what I end up usually spending most of my time doing is doing pastoral counseling um, in the office of a Mercedes-Benz dealership, because in that environment and just generally in automotive, uh, it's it's very dirty. Um, like dirty as in like very sleazy. You know, just the business ethics. Um, and, and there's just, be- it's getting better, it's changing, but it'll take decades to change. It, it, it will get better. Um, it, it has gotten a lot better. And, and then there's also a lot of strife, a lot of division, because of profits and money and commission. Uh, there's a lot of infighting. Um, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I think like de- very, very dehumanizing borderline abuse verbal abuse emotional abuse and and very very uh, uh, it's a it's a it's a man's world um, I mean especially if you're women if you're female in there uh, there's there are harassment uh, not uncommon and we're not talking about like a, a you know like a Surrey or a Kingsway like a, a used car dealership we're talking about you know large dealerships of big brands and and so often that um, what I end up I didn't choose to, but I would end up spending the whole morning in the sales manager's office hearing him complain about this salesperson, that salesperson, who he's going to fire, and all that. And, and now, now I'm not in a position to counsel him, but I'm, I'm in a position to hear him out and, and to help him. And sometimes what I hear, we would go back and try to help, you know, I, I guess incognito behind the, behind the scenes, um, unaware. And help certain sales guys who are having a hard time, or we think that they're really being targeted unfairly. Um, and so, like we, in the last seven, eight years that we've been in the, in that particular dealership before it was sold, um, I think we saw, I think we saw improvement. I think, um, you know, somehow we prayed. I prayed for that for the people there. And I somehow, I think uh, there was more wholeness. Wouldn't you say, Rachel? I think yeah, there was more harmony. There was more wholeness, and and. You know, and there was more shalom in there. Um, and some people had to be fired and, and you know, people came and, go, came and gone. We almost, I think, we, we stuck around for, for in a long time that we almost saw the entire sales floor turnover. Um, so in some ways, like, we, we saw more and we lived through more dynasties than many people who, who were on payroll. So, so that's one of them. Uh, what's another one? Oh, let's do, yeah, bicycle playing cards. Um, so, you know, the bicycle playing cards, it's uh, pro- kind of like sort of the de facto American uh, playing cards. Uh, so we worked on this a couple of years ago with a big project. Um, we basically redid their whole branding for Canada and also the, a, a huge website. And it was more about at the point, uh, they just wanted something new. Um, but then for us, like how we really envisioned flourishing for them was at a point where my kids were still a little bit younger, but uh, you know the whole smartphone addiction is just starting to become a, a reality. And and I think just when I thought through how um, you know I grew up playing more playing cards or right? hey big two, you know and blackjack and yeah, <laughs> but you know kids these days don't do that anymore because they have their smartphone or their iPads, right? And and so part of what we wanted to do what we spoke into that was was trying to say can we actually look at this uh, as a brand as something that's a tool that we can facilitate people coming back into the table uh, around the table and and actually having some wholesome um, you know personal time like being present and interacting and. And so that was something that we did, and it was it was actually really um, it was good, yeah, it was really good. But um, you know, this is also a, they're owned by a very large uh, U.S. conglomerate, like Procter and Gamble, similar to Procter and Gamble. And so um, you know, things change like every now and then, every few years. And um, so anyway, our workout uh, probably didn't get very far, but that's just the nature of um, big companies. So you know, just kind of keep that in mind. What's the next one? Uh, so Bernardin is is again like also a, a very very uh, with 100 year over 100 years of history um, just glass jars <laughs> just glass jars you find that the um, entire in, in flabs but they' it's a huge business um, but as you know as food and how we looked at this back then was you know with so much of this processed food um, that's that it's so accessible, so cheap in the supermarket. Um, there's really no place for this, right? But the whole point of canning jars was back then, you know, people had backyard, had fruit in their backyard, they're growing vegetables. There's too much. They can't. They gave it away. They still can't eat them all. They can't throw it away. So let's can it, like basically preserve it, right, and make some jam. Um, and that was kind of what, what it was. And you know, if you think about from a from a food sustainability perspective, that that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? But now, you know, like nobody does that anymore. And even the kind of the last project on this was uh, the last project we were asked we we're think was thinking about. Hey, I, I think we're gonna try to crack into the cannabis market uh, because people who are you know smoking weed, they they it's perfect to use these glass jars uh, to put their wow. weed in, right? <laughs> and so, hey, we're gonna go and talk to canopy growth and. Which was and still is, I think, the biggest uh, cannabis market uh, public company in, in Canada. So anyway, you know, I'm just so glad at that point we kind of just, uh, you know, the account kind of sort of went away, and uh, we didn't really get too much involved in that. Um, but it was more of like, you look at this, right? How do you, how do you, how do you wish, how do you portray or cast a vision of human flourishing in, in, in that regard, and um, so that we can encourage people to be more. Um, conscious of how they would look at food, right? So this was one thing. And and we have so many of these like empty jars, uh, samples in our office. Rachel uses them for everything. Like soup, um, tea, whatever. <laughs> uh, what's the next one? Let's talk about one more. <clears throat> uh, yeah, let's do Squamish Nation. Let's do the next one. Yeah. First alert the, the, the smoke detectors. Yeah, that was a, our client, too. That was a big project. Um, yeah, Squamish Nation, um, I don't know if you are reading the news right, lately, uh, there was uh, news just last week that uh, the Squamish Nation, that they own a piece of property right underneath the bridge around Kitsilano, they're going to build, in, in, um, as a par- in partnership with West Bank, they're going to build, uh, I think like six or seven towers around there, and immediately uh, ears perched up. Um, it's not the first time they talked about this, but um, I think it seems to be a reality. It's probably going to go ahead. And and because they are on sovereign uh, reserve land, that they are not subject to any type of zoning or uh, city permits from Vancouver City Hall, and so there are a lot of people who are very very um, worried, should I say, especially people in kids. But how can we, um, how can we as a, you know, as a uh, first uh, as Indigenous people, that's the uh, that's the proper and polite way of. Referring to them now Um, How can we actually wish and cast a vision of biblical human flourishing into a people who? If you kind of know the history and now this is part of the BC um, elementary school curriculum To to really educate about what really happened right when when the Europeans came and they took uh, you know they basically like uh, with no way of understanding language English in um, communications uh, the the British basically slowly like took away our lands through treaties and uh, took away their children and of course you know about residential schools and and so how do we wish um, how do we cast a biblical vision into these people who are who are who are so hurt so hurt um, in the last hundred years and and more uh, by by what has happened to you know but to to them you know by the from the, by the government of of canada and certainly also for the church the catholic church and and so we this was the project that probably started um this relationship started about uh, 2010 olympics um, and i was still working alone back then and um had the privilege to go in there and, and deep into a lot of their reserves and, um, and to get to, to get to know them uh, walk into their homes uh, meet a lot of their elders um, and, and really understand like what they are going through the problem the sociological problems that they have um, that because so much of their generation have been raised in um, uh, the boarding schools, right, and so they actually don't know how to parent because they've never seen, they've never been parent because they were forcibly taken away by the government um, and thrown into these residential schools. And many of them didn't even survive, right, they were starved, they were, many of them were abused, others, many died, when you were murdered in there. Uh, they recently they, the residential schools only, only closed down I think in like the last one was like 1997 or so It was very recent and a few weeks ago they said like there was a building they were a residential school building um, that they, they they were trying to I think tear down and they found like between walls um, like a couple dozen of, of babies or children's skulls in, in the middle of the walls right so you can imagine what they've gone through and so, in the past couple of years, that working with them, um, that we, although our influence is very small, but um, every time that we can engage them, I think uh, there's, there's always what we do is there's always creative, um, in, in in what we could say, um, about redemption, about what redemption can look like. I know I'm, I'm sort of running out of time, so I gotta move here a little bit. So if you, you know, I, I coming from a, a, a business owner and a consultant, I would be slightly different. But if you are in a similar, if you use a similar approach and reimagine your business or where you're at, uh, the place that you you're employed, what would it look like? Um, Peter Drucker, he has a really interesting quote. Uh, Peter Drucker is um, the father of um, modern management, and he says about missions organization like that. I'm talking about churches for example, and and, uh, like World Vision. He says, missions, institutions, neither supplies, goods, or services, nor controls. Its products is neither a pair of shoes nor an effective regulation. Its product is a changed human being, and that includes churches, that our product as a church should be changed human beings. That There is one thing about business success that we should endeavor to change all the people that we touch, our business touch, and starting with our employees and team members. Because products become obsolete, service evolves, but people have to thrive. Um, you know, for, for us as a team, I think it's been an extraordinary journey. Um, that a design agency like us, um, next one, I think there's a team photo. You can find the team photo. Yeah, there's a design agency like us. Um, we're small. Like we're all Chinese. Uh, we've lost. We've lost. You know, a lot of bids uh, because we're not white. <laughs> Because we're Chinese, but well, that you know, like I, I don't feel a sense of social injustice. I mean, that's just how we are. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a first generation immigrant. I mean, I, I, fought hard, I worked hard, and I'm very happy where God is, How he has blessed us. Uh, we're 90% introverted, um, high functioning, um, but we've had the privilege, um, against all odds and against you know the the common pattern, to work with um, you know all these global brands ac- across the U.S. and Canada. Uh, it really is God providing us. Now, uh, we, we, we're, we're not a Christian company, per se. Like, there's three of us who are Christians, but, but also six who aren't. And I'm, I don't just hire Christians. But if I look at inside, inwardly, if you're also in, in a position of management or influence at work, like, how can you also encourage flourishing uh, between in, in, in like intra-office um, or corporate relationships? Uh, here are some things I've done um, to do that, um, to encourage that, but again, because I'm a, I am the owner, so I am the policymaker. <laughs> so, so things that I've done uh, is uh, everybody a minimum, um, they get three weeks vacation, uh, and then also there's two weeks of unpaid Christmas uh, shutdown. So, uh, staffing can get up to about five weeks of, uh, I guess, holidays. Uh, we, we try not, we try to schedule projects and resources so that it discourages overtime or in other words like we really like like for, get people to focus at work and, and, and just just work and then and that seems to work quite well. Have worked out quite well. Uh, we try to do uh, something that uh, we do a team building or team lunch every month, something like creative. And in um, every meal that we have together, I still say grace. Uh, I'm, I'm 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 upfront about about my faith. Uh, we we're, we're doing a lot of we we're encouraging senior people to to mentor junior staff. And I try not to be an absent CEO an absent owner who's, not, who's never there, and try to be in the office. Um, in my pricing, I try not to. Uh, I, I price everything so that, that, that we are content. Um, I, know, I know there's more people who have told us that we're too cheap, we're pricing ourselves too cheap. Um, but you know, in some ways, I feel that I think we, we're, we're content. You know, I think being, making our services accessible to everybody is also important. And so on and so forth. So what are some things that you could do in your in your business to, to encourage office shalom? And I'm gonna close um, here that what I want to propose today and what I've said today is I think if the unbelieved at our workplaces are invited to live out Christian values. And because if you're a manager, you're treating them you know with Christian values and you're putting pr- into practice uh, Christian love and Christian ethics, you're encouraging shalom and human flourishing in that workplace, um, I believe that they are already being shaped by the gospel. Like you don't have to, it, they don't start to come to, under- to know Jesus uh, only when you kind of bring it up. And so I, I hope, um, you know, there, there's more um, that, that this, I have spurred you this, uh, this morning to think about like how you could do better in your voice, Julius, okay, you in a response.